sure that a lot of you are sitting here and there are some things that you want to change this coming year. You know, it can be trivial things just like your diet or your new exercise regime. It may even go a little bit further. It may be that you want to change your mindset. Maybe you've been very negative this last year. Maybe you are thinking or contemplating a career change. Maybe a, a change in strategy for your business. Maybe you know you need to work on your marriage, other relationships, maybe on your parenting. Or even you've decided that you, you need a bit more knowledge, you need to start studying. <clears throat> but what I'm going to attempt to do today is to say that there's something that you need to do before that. That's something that I want you to consider before doing the same as what you've always done, is trying to put forward New Year's, New Year's resolutions. Because I think the question that we need to ask is, why is 2014 going to be different for you? Some of you will know that I, I was a professional rugby player for 15 years. And uh, we used to say, basically, in a team context, but also for a player, and they say that in business as well, if you keep on doing the same thing, it is absolutely crazy to think that you're going get, to get a different outcome. I'm going to say it again because sometimes it doesn't sink in. To continue doing the same thing, you will continue getting the same outcome. Probably the law of diminishing returns will set in. You will probably get less and less of a good outcome from the same effort and same technique and same plan. And we need to consider another strategy in life. And so the question is, that comes for me with that is, is it possible for us to know where we are in life? Where are you, Tox, in the story of your life? Linky, where are you in the story of your life? It's an extremely difficult thing. And that's the first thing I want to say is, I don't want you to, the way that I can ask questions, I've found that I can make somebody sit there and start thinking about certain aspects that I'm talking about. And I just want you to follow my argument, the process that I'm going to go through. And not if I say, have you thought about your New Year's resolutions? Now you're sitting there and thinking, I haven't thought about it. One, I'm going to lose weight. Two, I'm going to start exercising. Three, I don't want you to go there now. That's exactly what I don't want you to do. Neither do I want you to become anxious about it. It's not about, it's not about becoming anxious about these things. That's exactly what I, what I want to talk to you about. But I also want to say this, and I, I, I just feel now that I should say this. My past in South Africa used to say this to us. Do you know that the colonel of KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken, only started Kentucky Fried Chicken at the age of 68? He built one of the biggest franchises in the world, starting at the age of 68. He was... He was like, they say, a colonel in the army. He retired at 65, 
for three years, he tried to sell the recipe for Kentucky Fried Chicken to a whole lot of fast food businesses, and everybody was laughing at him. Why would we buy a recipe for fried chicken from you? And then he started his first franchise at 68. Became an incredibly successful businessman. You know that the woman that was, and I'm saying all of this as an encouragement, you know that the people that developed Barbie dolls, Ben, Barbie and what is it? Is it, is it Ben? What is it? I don't know. Ken, sorry, Ken. So I'm thinking of Ben that just got married to Amy. Ken and Barbie, the dolls, were developed by a husband and wife, where the husband was a toy maker and, the, and the, his wife had a different job. And he struggled until the age of 40. And then his wife said, I'm going to help you. You know what to do, but you can't market your product. The wife started marketing. They became extremely successful. The business became a huge conglomerate. And people, the, the, it became a listed company in America. They lost control of the company. The guy started buying circuses and all kinds of other nonsense. It, it, uh, it had to file for bankruptcy, and they lost everything. Somebody else bought out the Ken and Barbie. Ken and Barbie was actually the name of their children. As funny as that may be. But you know that, that this happened to them when they were 60. Then this woman, at the age of 65, got breast cancer. She unfortunately had to have her breast removed surgically. She then found the problems that there is with um, getting bras and, and dressing with, uh, I think, with a single mastectomy. And she started a new business developing bras and prosthetics for people that have had breast cancer and became a, a multimillionaire again at the age of 70. None of us know where you are in the cycle of your life. And I want to say to you, that's probably one of the things that get people down the most in life. Moses was 80 when, Jesus, when God called him in the desert with a burning bush. 80 years old. We talk about Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb said were young men going on to, into the promised land when they came back with the, the big uh, uh, grapes and everything back from the promised land. How old was Joshua and Caleb? Forty years old. We say they were young men. I'm forty years old. There are some days that I consider my ways if I'm still young. But I want to encourage you that the day when the, the Bible says that Caleb helped all the different tribes in the promised land to capture their land that God allotted to them. And at the age of 80, for the first time, he went to Joshua and said, Joshua, will you release me that I can go and take the land, which was the most difficult land. The land that was allotted to Caleb was the land where the giants was. But God trained him in that time. At the age of 80, and he, what did he say? What is the words in the Bible? He said, because I am still strong and full of vigor like the first day. I will go and go and take it. And let me just tell you, this is the days after the, after the flood. 80 was 80. 80 wasn't the new 40. Can you imagine how many battles he must have fought? How battle-hardened he must be. Must have been. And the Bible says that Caleb took that land. He drove the giants out of that land. 
So it's from there that I come. So I want to say to you that God has a plan for your life. And we need to get onto the program and the process of God and understand God's timing for our lives as an encouragement. Now, I'll be very honest with you. A lot of what I'm going to share with you is a process of investigation of what, what God has spoken to my own life. But I believe the word for us for 2014 is that God is, wants to separate us for the work that is predestined for us as a church. A lot of us have gone through long times of preparation. And I, so I quickly want to go through, because you have been in the church for a long time, will know that there is a doctrine called calling and separation. And I just want to quickly run through that to get to the, the meat, the, the, the bit of meat. Now, the, the first thing I want to say, if you're sitting here and you're a, a Christian, a born-again believer, you have been called. You have been called into the kingdom of God, and the word says that you have been called in your, before you were in your mother's womb. It also says that you have been called even before the creation of the earth. You have been called. That is in Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, you're going to read that. And, and we have gone as a church through that in, in much depth. You have been called, if you're sitting as a Christian, be comfortable in it. Rejoice in it. You have been called from the beginning into the kingdom of God. Now, the second part of it is that there is also a second calling on our life. Beyond that. You can call that calling your vocation. The King James, the old King James used to talk about your vocation. In Ephesians 4 verse 1, it says, Walk worthy of the vocation. Walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Whether that is to be a teacher or a coach or a mother raising a family, whether it is an evangelist or apostle or if you are helping offenders doesn't matter what you're doing. It's a vocation. Now, that's something that you've been called to. The Greek word for that is called kaleo. Called aloud or called toward. Called toward something. <clears throat> and calling always happens before um, separation. And that's what I want to explain to you. Just also... In Romans 1 verse 1, you'll see that Paul says that I have been called to be an apostle. He has been called to be an apostle. So, first he was called into the kingdom, and I'm going to explain it. I'm going to explain that. So, sometimes our spiritual and our natural vocations are compatible, are very easily compatible. It's very easy to see the link between them. When Deidre studied psychology and everything, she applies that directly into a secular job and helping children, helping ex-offenders. But she is making the kingdom come, getting people out of bondage into life. That's very easy to see her vocation and a spiritual calling coming together. I think it's very easy for teachers to do that. I think it's easy when you're a doctor, maybe a dentist helping people out of pain. 
Sometimes it can be more difficult, you know. I'm an accountant. Very difficult to see God in accountancy. <laughs> but one of the reasons why I focus and not said anything about ministry yet is because sometimes when we talk about calling, all that we as Christians can think of is, okay, sure, what should I become? A teacher, a prophet, evangelist? A, I don't know, really know if I'm any of those. Or a pastor. It is not exclusive. And I want to say that to you. Your calling does not have to be necessarily in the fivefold ministry, into, into a ministry team as such. We are all full-time ministers of the Word of God. We've all been called to full-time ministry. I just want to... So God has got a plan for you, but there's also a process. And I'm just quickly going to run through that. The first thing is that we need to recognize... So, remember what I said. You are called into the kingdom now. Secondly, you are called into a calling and a vocation. And the first thing is we need to recognize what that is. Now, for some of you, you know, I, I was laughing as a kid and everybody was laughing because my one grandmother was very adamant that I'm going to become a preacher one day. And I'm still laughing about that. When I was driving here this morning, I was thinking about that. But because she recognized something in me, but that is, not what, that is not my full calling. Sometimes you need to recognize what you are called to. Now, that recognition can come through the process of life, in the direction that, that life has taken you. It can come through a prophetic insight. People speaking that over you, and you recognizing, and it falls into your heart. But mostly I would say, it would just come through a relationship with God. Just walking with God, with time spent with God, having peace in the thing that you've been called into. But it's not as easy, and I think this is where the process needs to be understood. Is the, the second step is an acceptance. Now as hard as it may be for some of you, I was called for a time, and you'll see that, you'll see that, You'll see a bit later that when we talk about separation, there's actually boundaries onto what you are separated onto and for. But for a time, I was called to be a professional rugby player. Do you know that I had detested it? Nicolene can be my witness to that. I detested being there. I came from a very academic town. I didn't want to be labeled as a stupid rugby player. I wanted to be an academic. I didn't want to have all the things with rugby players being bullies or whatever. To, I didn't want that. I wanted to do business. And you know, I paid a price and I've learned a lot through it. And that's part of what I'm sharing to you today. That there can be fulfillment. There can be full fulfillment. When you come to a place, when you can come to peace, as a third step, that you can come to peace with what God, God has called you to. And I think some of you are tired and some of you are fighting what God has called you to. What your current vocation is even. There's something in you that knows that you're doing what you're doing very well. 
and a certain element of you are enjoying it a lot. But you are maybe comparing yourself to other people, comparing salaries. Not to use an example, talks, but teachers do not get paid a lot. Teachers are not respected enough in our society. I'll be the first to say that. So it can be very easy for a teacher to think, I really love teaching. I can see the changes that I make in people's lives, but it's very difficult for me to make a good living from this. Very difficult for me to have respect in community. I'm just using that as an example. We must make a peace with God, what God has called us to. Otherwise, we will miss the fulfillment and the satisfaction and the peace that can come to what you are doing. And you'll see where I'm, where I'm heading. The last one I want to say is, the fourth step of it is submission to it. It's submissions to, submission to God's will in that regard. In the small steps that they want to give to you, in that process of, in that process of being part of God's plan in your life. Because as you'll see, the first part of calling is just a preparation phase to get to the place of separation onto what God has predestined for you from the beginning. Now, the fifth step is separation. Now, it can take a very long time or it can take a very short time from the time that you're called until you completely separate on what God has called you to as a life calling vocation or vocation. And I want to use an example. You know, David was prepared over a very long time to be a king. But it's very interesting for me when I started looking at it is that in the way that David was prepared to become a king, it eventually excluded him. In the process, because he sinned, but I also want to say, it, he was put in the position that he was compromised, where he was made a warrior. He had to fight. He had to be a soldier and a general. He had to be a terrorist. And in the process, he killed too many people. What was David's great dream? He wanted to build a temple for God. And God said to him, David, there's too much blood on your hands. I don't want you to build the temple. Your son will build the temple. I think it, was hard. it must have been heart-wrenching for David. So God defined... God defined what David was separated onto. To be the first king, to establish... We must remember, Israel didn't have an army. Israel was a bunch of farmers, prophets, guys playing harps. They were not fighters. They were lovers. And God, through David, made them into a warrior nation that conquered basically the Middle East. That was what David was called to through a long time of preparation. And maybe another example for you to establish that fact is Moses. Moses was the deliverer. You can imagine that everything that Moses worked through, everything that he suffered in the desert, the fact that he was away from his family as a, as a child, then after he was 80, walking with the Israelites, all the nonsense that he had to go through with them. And eventually God said, to 
because you got frustrated with these morons that never want to listen, you are not going to take them into the promised land. You will only see it. So Moses' calling, Moses answered the call. Moses walked in the call, but in the end, he was separated for the task of bringing them through this period of cleansing, bringing them out, bringing them through a period of cleansing to the point before, and he honored that. So I just want to frame you where, it's go- where I'm going here. Is that in a- the Word also says, our days have been framed by God. And it's just for us to learn what, what are we called for and what is the enjoyment and the fulfillment that we should get out of the frame that God has put in our, in our lives. That He wants us, where He wants us to operate. And as you can see, this is not something that I can tell you. You can go to a psychologist to tell you, or you can meet with Anne to tell you what yours are, what your calling and your what your calling is. It's only through relationship with God that this can be established. But I have good news for you. That I believe that God said to me that 2040 will be a year where a lot of people's preparation, where a lot of people's patience, where a lot of people's hanging on and getting prepared over the last number of years are going to come into a place where they will get revelation and they will move into more specific area of calling, being separated on. So, to be separation means a separation from something onto something. Separation from something onto something. I want to give you an example just of this process as well. Paul, and this may be discouraging to some people, but let's, let's make this an encouragement. Maybe you've waited for a long time. Maybe you've been saved for a long time. Maybe you've known what you want to do for a long time. And maybe you've been doing it for a long time. In Acts 9, in Acts 9, Paul is, has got his Damascus moment where he got born again on the road to Damascus. That's Acts 9. Fourteen years later, in Acts 13, he is called for the first time and separated. No, he's separated for the first time with Barnabas into the ministry. For 14 years, he was in the desert, it says. He was away. He was traveling to different places. But it was 14 years later that the Bible says, now, it says, and now separate for me Saul and Barnabas for the ministry. Very long time of preparation. So I want to ask you, <coughs> no, I'll wait a bit before I ask. But what I want to say to you is that the time that it takes for us, between the time that we are called and we are separated, there's that usual duality in the kingdom, that tension. On the one hand, it's in God's hands when He will separate you onto the perfect timing for your life. On the other hand, I want to say to you that it is in your hands. For you to be prepared, to you, for your character to develop, and for you to go through the processes to get into that place. 
where God can separate you onto what he has predestined you from the beginning. And I'm over halfway now. What I've seen through everything that I've read and all the consideration that I've given to my own life, to this call, to this message, is that the one single thing that brings us to the place of being able for God to use us, the place where God separates us, is faithfulness. The one single thing is faithfulness. And, you know, I grew up, I grew up and I kind of hope my brother listens to this and I hope he doesn't listen to us, but I grew up with a brother that was much more talented than I am. And so have a lot of you. He was, I could always remember him and I see with my own children as well, when they lose games, they go absolutely ballistic when they lose. And it's a good thing for a time. But you don't know, do you know that everybody wants to win? Everybody wants to be a winner. But not everybody wants to prepare. Everybody wants to walk in their calling. Everybody wants to experience the fulfillment and the joy of walking in their calling. But not a lot of people are willing to pursue excellence, to pursue the hard work. I think it was Abraham Lincoln that said, the problem with opportunity is that it is dressed in blue overalls and look like work. And I think that's one of the areas that I'm a little bit worried about the young generation that's coming through. That they really un- do they really understand the hard work that life is all about? For me, one of the amazing facts is I've, I've read once that Winston Churchill wrote something like 86,000 pages of writing after he retired. You know, people accuse him that he drank a lot of whiskeys and smoked a lot of cigars, but to write 86,000 pages after the age of 80, 75, is absolutely incredible because that was just the work ethic of a man. If you go and look at C.S. Lewis's writing, even as an old man, what people used to accomplish, for some people I can say it's just possible if you don't have a TV. But I want to put this to you. I think the first thing that you need to do when you consider this next year is that you need to go and count the cost first. You need to go and count the cost. You know, when I was a rugby player, and sometimes you see it, sometimes these days I've got these cameras in the change rooms. Have you guys seen the cameras in the change rooms? Sometimes you see... A lot of people talking. Other times you just see people sit there with their hands on their knees, just waiting. I can tell you what went through my mind when I was sitting there. Is you think, today I'm going to die a little. Today this is going to take everything from me. This is going to hurt. And basically you prepare your mind for that. And when after you've basically thought about it, contemplated it, and made the decision that it is going to hurt, you are going to be extremely tired. You're going to get to a place where you don't want to get out of a ruck and run to the next one. 
It's only when you come to that place, when, when the game comes and you are tired and the blood is running out of your face and you are hurting, that you do not consider it and think, wow, this is now getting a little bit hard. Because you've made that decision before the game and you keep on running and you keep on trying until the final whistle blows. I've actually... My father used to quote this guy a lot, Emil Zatopek. He said that the first time in 1952. I only remembered later, I, a couple of weeks ago, I spoke at the men's breakfast and I saw Emil Zatopek said this in 1952 at the start of the uh, Olympic marathon, which he won, won in a record time. He looked all the other guys in the face and he said, Men, today we're going to die a little. And I think that is what great endurance athletes have got in them. That they say, I am going to die a little, but I'm not going to die. And I think for us to go to the place where God wants to take us, it is a process of dying. Maybe just open your Bible at Philippians 3 verse 8. This is actually supposed to be an encouragement. You're very quiet. I haven't heard anybody here shouting a loud amen to dying. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. So that is what I want to say in considering what it's going to take to change your life in the next year. It is a process of dying to all the things that have kept you from making that decision last year and the year before that. But there's great reward. This is the encouragement. Proverbs 28 verse 20. A faithful man will abound with blessings. Faithful man will abound with blessings. Matthew 25, 23 is the parable of the talents. And although people don't emphasize it that much, the, the, the parable of the talents is actually just about, is, is mostly about faithfulness. It says, I've given you little in which you have been, you've been faithful in little. You've been faithful in little. I will give you much to rule over. So I want to say to you, and I'm going to continue, but I'll summarize it for you even before I start. The thing that God is looking for is faithfulness. He's looking for faithful people. He's not looking for intelligent people. He's not looking for good-looking people. He's not looking for overly qualified people. Otherwise, he would have used people from Harvard and Yale and Oxford and Cambridge. It doesn't look to me as if that is his strategy. I, can see, I can't see in the past that he's done that. In Daniel, he used a eunuch. In David, he used the younger son. In Esther, he used a, 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 young, a young girl to change the mind of a king about the future of a nation. You know, in today's terms, that would probably have been human trafficking, you know? So, I want to say to you that if you're sitting here and say, Quibus, I hear what you're saying. It sounds like the truth. But 
And I've known this 10 years ago already, but it hasn't changed me. I'm trying to be faithful, but I'm not faithful. I want to say to you that God doesn't expect anything from us that He doesn't have as attribute that is not Him. And that we can call on Him. And that is the encouragement I want to give to you today. Is that even if you start in this year by just praying, God, help me to be faithful. Because remember, it is, it is a fruit of the Spirit. It is a fruit of knowing Him. It is fruit, it's a fruit of seeking relationship with Him. The, maybe just go in your Bibles, Hebrews 10.23. Those who can look up very quickly, otherwise I'll just read it. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. God is faithful. I'm also going to read to you Revelation 19, 11. This is one of my favorite scriptures. It shows Jesus as not the baby in the crib that we've just celebrated. It shows Jesus as a warrior on a horse. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. That is the God that we serve. He will come through for you. He will make war for you this year. It says here the blood drips from his thighs. As he rides this horse in the heavenly realms with the armies of angels. And you can call upon him. You can call upon him because the word says over and over that he is faithful. And so, if you're sitting here and you're intimidated by other people's skills and intelligence and education, I want to say to you call it rubbish. Call it rubbish. Because God is not looking for that. God is looking for faithful people. Faithfulness. He says, Proverbs 20 verse 6, Most men will proclaim each his goodness. But who can find a faithful man? God is struggling. Let me tell you, God's biggest problem on this earth is finding faithful men and women. Faithful in the small things. And I think where it's confusing for us is that God takes us on these wild paths where we can't make sense of why we have taken this path in our life. But the best is to go back to the biblical examples. What must David, who has been called to be a king, what must he have thought for 10 years lying in a cave as a fugitive? You know that at one stage David was fighting with the Philistines. What must he have been thinking at that stage in his life? Thinking, God must have deserted me. Moses, educated in the courts of Pharaoh, tending sheep in the desert for 40 years. Another man's sheep, not even his own sheep. I want to say to you, the things that look crazy in your own life, with hindsight, is going to look much different. And so the question, the question that you need to ask where you are sitting today, the question I need to ask myself today is, and all I need to ask myself in 2014 is, 
quivers. What should you be faithful in? What should I be faithful in? Today. Because God wants to move on to separate us from this world, in this world, into the perfect calling for our lives. He wants to move us on. I want to say this to you. The word that we don't use enough. He wants to move us on into maturity. And while I was studying all of this, I came up with a word, perfection. And then all of a sudden, I was challenged by my own thinking that I thought perfection is a kind of a swear word. But you know, when I started reading all the scriptures about perfection, you know, Jesus was the first one who talked in the New Testament of perfection. So I just want to say, there is a higher call even onto, Jesus says, perfection. I want you to move on to perfection. Now, I don't want to, that's a whole teaching on its own. But the Bible talks a lot about moving on to perfection. From the Old Testament onto the, into the New Testament. But let's just call it for now, for what we can stomach now, maturity. We need to move on maturity. And the way to move on to maturity is faithfulness in the small things. And I am concluding. <laughs> There's obviously a lot of other things that can move us on. I just want to mention two others. Is We need to remain teachable. And a part of being faithful, the, the part where we are challenged in this process of preparation, where a lot of us maybe here are challenged, is just remaining teachable under imperfect leadership, imperfect bosses. If you go and look at all the people that Jesus used, that God used in the Bible, they were taught under imperfect people. Jacob under Laban. Moses in Pharaoh's house. Daniel under different um, kings. Who of you have been watching the Bible series? I mean, when you start seeing those things in, in real life, like made real for you, some of the truths hit home a little bit. God is David under Saul. You can go on and on and on. The people that changed the course of getting us Jesus Christ born on the cross, moved through. They suffered under imperfect leadership. Even the church in Jerusalem was under perfect leadership under Peter for a while, when Peter started going back to Jewish custom. To this day, nobody's perfect because we are human. And let me tell you, all the smart people, the intelligent people, they think, I am so smart. I can see this guy is imperfect. I am not going to serve him. And let me tell you, in the coaching book of God, with his clipboard, he goes, sorry, not for my team. Because all I want, remember, in a rugby team, all I want is somebody who can pass the ball like this and tackle. So God says, and listen to the captain. If you can do that, I can coach you. Am I right, Craig? Actually, the only thing, when I coach kids, when I used to coach, when I played in a team, all I want is a teammate that can listen. If I tell the guy, do that, you do that. I don't want you to think anything else. It sounds very stupid, but I train you to th not to think. I train you just to do what we are being coached. We all go in the same direction. 
And sometimes it's difficult for us because the world says, you know, we need to be very far thinking. We need to think outside of the box. We need to challenge authority. I want to say to you, on the scorecard of God, that's very low. It's very low on the points that adds up to if you're making the team. Faithfulness, I want to say to you, is number one. After you've been called, faithfulness is number one. Because faithfulness is going to make you teachable. Faithfulness is going to make you excellent. Faithfulness is going to make you move with God, move with the leadership. Faithfulness is going to make you forgive. Faithfulness is going to make you wake up in the mornings and spend time with God. Faithfulness is the thing that's going to make you not think about your own energy levels and serve other people. Wow, I'm very excited. Very excited here at the end of the year. <clears throat> and on excellence, all I want to say is Matthew 5.20 says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you will be excluded. We need to be more perfect than those who we work with, who are we competing with. So we are called onto maturity, and I want to say to you that God chooses the faithful. Luke 18 verse 8, and that's one of the hardest hitting scriptures for me in the Bible. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? And I want to connect that to Romans 1.17 that Artie Kendall shared with us. The just shall live by faith. Remember what he said. The just shall live by the faithfulness of God. So again I want to say, I'm saying all these things, and you're saying maybe back to me, Quivers, I've tried. I want to say to you, what you're going to try this year is not going to try and lose weight, try and do more exercises, try and read the Bible more. All I want to suggest to you to do is to every morning wake up with the attitude that you want to be faithful and ask God for, the, for His grace, for the strength to be faithful. Because He is faithful. His Holy Spirit embodies love, joy, peace, patience, faithfulness. And where you feel you can't do it, you go and say, I embrace faithfulness from you, Holy Spirit. By your grace, I embrace it. I will walk in faithfulness today. And it's amazing how these little steps, not big leaps, it's little steps, bring you to the place of maturity, being in a position where God can use us. And it's out of that posi position where we can call unto God and say, God, may I enter the fullness of what you have for me. Separate me unto what you have for me. There's a thing called carnal Christianity. And that's maybe just the thought I want you to they talk about carnal Christianity. But in, in summary, it's what is right in the world today. is people thinking that the Christian experience is, ends with salvation. That Jesus is a Savior. That to us, a Savior was born. And it ends there. To us, a Savior has been born. 
And if you accepted that, you are the called. But to move on into maturity, to you move on to perfection, to move on into your calling and your vocation, and onto separation, onto God, and onto what God has predestined for you. I want to say to you, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the baby in the manger, the person on the cross has got to become the Lord. The Lord God Almighty. He who is true and faithful. He who is warring in the heavenly realms. Who has defeated the demonic forces that has gone into hell and back for us. That is the, that is the God that we are serving. And that is true servanthood and requires faithfulness like a servant would serve a master. And in that place, I believe that is where the real power that we so much crave, the power to speak over a lady that's sick and say, be healed. To speak life into a child that is in bondage. To pray effectively for salvation for people that so dearly need God in their life. To change circumstances around us. It comes from that place where Jesus Christ is Lord. And not just our Savior.